This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The debt deal is done. Sort of. If approved, it would freeze spending for a time at our current high baseline, impose work requirements for more people seeking welfare benefits, and it would tee up automatic, real spending cuts if Congress fails to perform one of its most basic functions, approving spending bills. Cato's Chris Edwards evaluates the plan. For people who appreciate the degree to which the United States is careening toward some unknown debt disaster sometime down the road. Um, what changes about future spending in this deal? Well, we have giant deficits and debt at the federal government level, and we are careening toward a major fiscal crisis. This uh, debt deal in front of Congress right now would be a small incremental step in the right direction to try to restore some fiscal responsibility to Washington. It only tackles discretionary spending and not the big entitlement programs like Social Security. But nonetheless, I think that all parts of the budget need to be cut. And this is a small step toward at least um, putting a cap on the discretionary part of the budget to make sure it doesn't keep growing. So based on the, the terms that I read in uh, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, uh, the concern that I saw was, did Biden give up too much here? And I thought, well, that you know, they're not really asking the reverse question. Um, and you know, both sides have to sell this in a sense. What are what are the what are the small things that we can point to and say, eh, this might have been the best we could have done? Well, look, on the politics, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. And um, I, I thought uh, Speaker McCarthy in the House uh, actually did a pretty good job on this. He kept focus on his message, kept repeating his message. Uh, the House passed a bill early on, which gave them political leverage. Uh, if you think about it this way, there's three power centers in Washington. There's the House, the Senate and the White House. Democrats control two of, two of those and Republicans one of those. So that's like two to one. But McCarthy has actually made it a one to one, an equal contest in Washington because he passed uh, a debt, uh, a debt limit bill uh, first. And then he had negotiations with uh, the White House and cut out the Senate. So uh, you combine that with the fact that, you know, Biden is politically very unpopular uh, in current polling. And of course, the White House knows this. Uh, it put the Biden White House at a disadvantage, and I think McCarthy and House Republicans uh, are taking advantage of that in a good way. Of course, I'd like to see much bigger uh, spending reforms in Washington, but I think this is a this is a political win. It 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 creates uh, the message that you know spending cuts are not political losers. Spending cuts are popular, and the people will support spending cuts and, and a move toward reigning in deficits. So I think it's it's a small incremental step in the right direction and a real political win for Republicans. Keeping on the politics of this, it seems like both sides really wanted to be able to have something to wave in front of their constituency and say, hey, look what I got gotcha. you. Um, and that's true even for people who support, as you and I do, fairly substantial reductions, the substantial elimination of programs at the federal level. One of those is essentially the penny plan if Congress doesn't do certain tasks uh, that it's supposed to do, which is to pass appropriations bills on a regular basis. 
Yeah, I mean, what what it does with uh, spending is it basically keeps spending flat for the next couple of years. It uh, 2024 spending would be basically the same as 2023 spending, at least the discretionary spending. And then for 2025, they say the the non-defense spending can grow 1% and defense gets a 3% increase. But, you know, in a in an, in an age when we have 4% or so inflation, that actually would represent a real cut to spending. And if the economy keeps growing, you know, the spending as a share of GDP will fall. So that's a good, that's a, you know, that that's, you know, uh, moves in the right direction. I think Republicans also got uh, two other substantial wins um, on the IRS funding. The Democrats last year passed this massive $79 billion increase in the IRS budget uh, with 58% of the money going toward enforcement. Biden and the Democrats would have quadrupled IRS enforcement spending over the next decade. Uh, The audit rate would have gone up the, uh, you know, the... uh, the, the IRS would have grasped a lot more power uh, to go after uh, often uh, innocent Americans in enforcement. So the Republicans start to claw that back. They cut a billion of that out uh, next year, and then they, they leave it open to cutting another $21 billion out in coming years. Uh, this makes a lot of sense. I testified to the Senate Finance Committee a couple weeks ago that all this enforcement spending was overkill. Uh, the United States, uh, you know, tax cheating and the tax gap is not a major problem in the United States. In fact, we have less uh, a less problem with um and tax gap and tax cheating than European countries, for example. So the, you know, if we're going to spend more on the IRS, it should be on uh, basically customer services. You know, the IRS needs to answer the telephone when people call. And that's the idea of the Republican uh, plan here. Reduce the money for enforcement and and beef up the customer service in the IRS. And so the Republicans, I think, have a win on, on that. Uh, we should note that the spending levels that we're treating as a baseline in this debt deal dramatically increased from 2019 levels. And so the the baseline is quite high. No, that's right. In fact, in 2019, you know, discretionary spending was 1.3 trillion. This year it's up to 1.7 trillion. Uh, Trump and then Biden massively boosted spending during uh, the pandemic. Um, and, you know, I'd, of course, like to see spending cut back down to the pre-pandemic level uh, or more. But again, holding spending flat for the next couple of years is at least a step forward. And what it does is it sets up, fut- you know, battles in 2024, then 2025 uh, battles over these caps again, which is OK. I mean, I think ha- the parties having spending battles and battles over the debt is a good thing. So when Congress puts these caps in, it it sets up future uh, battles over the budget, which is a good thing. I mean, the worst thing is if when the two parties collude and pass massive spending bills with, you know, without kind of a major debate. So I think any rules, any kind of caps we can add to the budget process is a good thing because it raises the whole profile of deficits and spending to the public. A lot was was made of work requirements in exchange for extending uh, welfare benefits work or seeking work for uh, a certain able-bodied population. Does that really change the level of spending that we would expect in these programs? 
No, the work requirements aren't going to change spending much. But I, I, again, I think they are a step in the right direction. I, I think it's it's for a lot of Republicans, it's the principle uh, of the thing. So um, the Republicans are beefing up work requirements uh, for the food stamp program, for example. The program has massively increased in cost from $60 billion in 2019 to $140 billion today. Uh, the work requirements aren't going to change the spending level much. But it's the principle of the thing that, um, you know, we shouldn't be handing out um, welfare benefits of any sort to people who aren't, who are people who are sitting on the couch and not working, able-bodied folks. So Republicans would would raise uh, the age requirement uh, for work in the in the SNAP or food stamp program from 49 to, to age 54. So, you know, so people now in the early 50s, you're not going to be able to get food stamps continuously unless you're working. So that makes a lot of sense. And going forward, these fights that are going to be teed up uh, in 2024 and 2025, I was reading a, a piece by uh, our former boss, Ed Crane, about how Republicans have sort of adopted what was called the two Santa Clauses strategy when it comes to that they, 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 uh, they like to hand out tax cuts and they like to cheer when uh, they're able to control the, uh, the Congress to deliver tax cuts. But when it comes time to reduce spending, Republicans aren't don't don't tend to be so great, especially when they have unitary control of Congress and the White House. So uh, and, and part of, I think, Ed's complaint, which I think is, is well taken, is that this allows Republicans not to debate the merits of programs. No, I think that's right. I mean, you know, Republicans uh, are, are every bit as much big spenders as the Democrats. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw that under President Trump, for example. Uh, you know, Trump did some things right for the economy. He deregulated. He did cut taxes generally in a, in a good way. Uh, but spending ballooned under Trump. I mean, a lot of the, the pandemic spending he, he signed his name to, uh, you know, wasn't needed. It was vastly in excess. So, both parties have a, a big spending program. I think both uh, I think both parties support kind of a, the two Santa Claus theory. I mean, the Repo the Democrats, for example, uh, passed uh, it looks like now a trillion dollars in energy tax credits uh, for you know for renewable energy and the like uh, last year. So they like to hand out these tax incentives as well as as well as increasing spending. So so both parties um you know like like to do the tax cuts and the spending hikes you know the problem of course is that unlike state governments there's no discipline because we have no overall balanced budget rule so um i, I think the more rules we can impose on the budget process in washington are a good thing i i support uh uh i think a reasonable compromise would be to put a an, an annual fixed cap on overall spending. So, for example, you know, all total federal spending can't increase more than 2% a year or the rate of inflation, something like that. And I, I think if you put an overall cap in, it would force both parties to 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 trade off and make compromises and, you know, and, and make balances here, balancing off defense and non-defense and that sort of thing. So that's what I'd like to see ultimately a cap on overall the overall federal budget entitlements discretionary and the whole thing force the members of Congress, both parties to make trade-offs. Chris Edwards is the Kilts Family Chair in Fiscal Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.